Thanks for checking out the Harvest Valley Church podcast. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are accepted. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages and challenges you. Now here is the Sunday AM message. Today is our last gate that uh, of the 10 gates we've been looking at. And it's the gate that um, was the most endeared gate because it was a gate that was closest in proximity to the Holy Temple. And it's where Solomon built this gate in 19 uh, or 957 BC. And he built it as the primary access in and out of the temple. Although there was the sheep gate that you could go into, this was the gate. Say the gate that you entered into the holy temple and he made it very special. And this is where foreigners as well as residents of Jerusalem would go in there night and day and worship the Lord. And it was a gate where he called it the mercy gate for it had so many ramifications into the life of the Israelite. One of them being that it was the access to the scapegoat. And I'm referring to the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, where the, the priest would bring two unblemished goats. One he would sacrifice at the altar, kill it, sacrifice to the Lord for the sins of Israel once a year. And then the second goat he would keep alive. And then he would take his blood-stained hands, lay his hands on the goat and then take him by a rope, lead him out of the temple and into the wilderness, symbolizing that the sins of Israel were now past them. They had, they had been forgiven of them. This was an amazing moment in Israel's life. And although Nehemiah, when he came to restore those gates in, in uh, verse, uh, or verse 29, we see that his main purpose was to restore the, 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 the uh, temple worship. But he had another purpose in mind because what had happened a hundred years prior to him coming was a man named Ezekiel, the prophet of Israel. He had a prophecy. And this was found in Ezekiel 43. And it had to do with the eastern gate, the gate that led to the temple. And this was his prophecy. Notice in verse 1 of Ezekiel 43, it says, Afterwards he brought me to the gate. Say the gate. The gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the glory of the Lord of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters and the earth uh, sh shone with his glory. It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The vision were, were like the visions when I saw the river Shabar. And I fell on my face, and the glory of the Lord came into the temple by the way of the gate which faces towards the east. Notice he says that three times. Verse 5, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Then I heard him speaking to me from the temple while a man stood beside me. And he said to me, son of man, this is the place. Say the place. 
of my throne and the place of the sole of my feet, which I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. Now, at the time that Ezekiel gave this prophecy, the children of Israel were mostly in Babylon in captivity. Their walls had been destroyed. The eastern gate was destroyed. And Ezekiel's prophecy became a clarion call to all those that were in Israel and Babylon. It was the hope that they needed that one day, that there would be a Messiah, a a new king that would come, that would restore Israel back to its former glory days of King David. And when this Messiah appeared, he would walk through the eastern gate into the temple and be coronated there as king. This is what their hope was. Soon after Ezekiel's prophecy, the eastern gate was known for more of its its messianic prophecy and less of its access into the temple. Sadly, in Nehemiah's day, he did not get to see the Messiah coming in. His hope, was, uh, his hope was put to the side. Instead, Israel was ransacked over and over again for five centuries, 500 years. And finally, when the Romans came in A.D. 60, they eventually installed Herod the Great. You remember Herod the Great. And this guy, he had Jewish roots, so... He took it upon himself and he declared himself king of Israel. And it was there where he began to restore Jerusalem back to its glory. And one of the things for sure he did was he started this incredible project of building the temple. Solomon's temple that was destroyed. He wanted to erect a new temple in his honor. And he wanted to build up the eastern gate. And he didn't do it in Solomon's fashion. He did it in his own fashion. Five times larger than what Solomon had built. So he started this project. And his hope was that when it was over, he would become the king. And he would walk into the newly restored temple, the newly restored eastern gate and pronounced that he was the true messiah well interesting enough enough he did not last the renovation in fact he died in his early 30s of an infection so we see here that this all thing collapsed now in 80 30 33 around his son continued the renovation project and about that time his son had finished the the temple and finished the eastern gate. But his son had no aspirations to be the Jewish Messiah. But there was this one person, a fisherman from Galilee (laughs) named Jesus, who many began to take notice of because of his teachings, because of the miracles and his messianic references. And people started to talk and they started to have conversations. Maybe this is the Messiah that we are looking for. So when Jesus decided to worship at the restored temple and the restored eastern gate, not only that, but he was riding on a donkey 
How many know the, 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 the people of Judea and Jerusalem, by thousands, they flocked to the city because this was the messianic prophecy found in Zechariah, which says, 9 verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold your king. Say your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a what? Come on. A donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. So thousands, if you can imagine, flocked the, the, the road that led to the eastern gate. Just, it was perfect timing. The gate was restored. The temple was restored. Jesus was on the donkey riding towards it. And he did it perfectly. Just like the prophecy sold. He gets off his donkey, walks into the temple. And this is where the prophecy kind of ended. Because what Jesus did there was not what was expected for instead of receiving the praise of the priesthood and the, the, the uh, vote of the priesthood as the new king, he did the opposite. He ticked them off. He ticked them off. He went ballistic because they were selling livestock within the outer courts of the temple, which they shouldn't have done. And he took a whip and he began to whip the merchants and he turned over the tables and he kicked everyone out of the outer courts. And when it was all done, the people that were so excited about Jesus being the king of kings started to question, maybe this isn't the guy. Because all the people that were supposed to give him that accolade and give him the, the endorsement, they wanted to kill them now, him now. And sure enough, a week later, Jesus was arrested by the priesthood. He was accused of crimes against the temple, and he hung on a cross. From that day on, the eastern gate went through a terrible, terrible season. The temple became a place of corruption. And then in AD 70, the Romans heard of a coup that was coming against them, so they barred up the entire city and burned it from within, destroyed it completely, the temple and everything, destroyed it tore down the, 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 the gates. And it was there that there was no hope. For the next 400 years, the eastern gate basically laid in rubble. The, the temple was decimated. There was nothing there. And then there was a Byzantine king that came in, King Justin, who had converted to Christianity. And he comes in to... to Israel after he was pronounced king. He comes in and now he goes to the temple. He sees it in ruin and he specifically takes care of the temple itself. But not, he doesn't rebuild it. He just, the area, just cleans it out. And instead of putting a temple there, he puts a chapel in honor of Jesus Christ. And then he rebuilds the eastern gate in this Byzantine style with these beautiful arches and celebrating the fact that Jesus walked through there as the Messiah. Well, this is exciting, huh? Problem is, it didn't last. Because 50 years after that, Jerusalem was invaded by the Muslims. They came in and they destroyed not only the, 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 the chapel of Jesus, 
but in its place, they resurrected a mosque. Let's go to that next slide of the mosque. We probably see this. This is the Dome of the Rock. It's the mosque, and that stands there today, almost a thousand years later. The Dome of the Mosque. And here, this whole thing just imploded. Then 900 years after the Muslim came in, another king came in, a Zoltan, a, 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 a Muslim king, Solomon the Magnificent. He was a student of Jewish history. He understood the prophecies of the Messiah. And he went one step further. He obviously kept the mosque but then he came in and he said, you know what? I am going to prevent a Messiah from ever coming into this place again. I'm going to wall up the eastern gate. I'm going to put big limestones on it and wall it up. And not only that, I'm going to put a Muslim cemetery in right in front. Because I know that the Jewish Messiah will never walk on the graves. He did that. In fact, let's look at that next picture. This is where it stands today. This is the eastern gate. It's still walled up. After four or five hundred years, it's still walled up. And right in front of it is a Muslim grave. Wow. Now, you think, well, wait a second, Pastor. I thought the Jews retook Jerusalem. Yes, 1948. They retook Jerusalem, but they never remedied the gates. The gates are still barred up. And the cemetery, they never touched the cemetery. And although the Orthodox Jews still believe in a coming Messiah, they refuse to believe it's Jesus. They refuse to believe the prophecies of Ezekiel and uh, uh, Zechariah and Isaiah that speak of the Messiah. And for us that understand that, we, we, we understand it being that there is a pride of life there. Because in their mind, how could a great king humble himself to the place that he died a criminal's death for the sins of humanity? How could he do that? To their mind, the, the, the law was good enough. And yet, here's the crazy thing. What is so unavoidable about this situation is not just the prophecies that all point to Jesus being the Messiah, but underneath the rubble, underneath this that you see from these pictures of Jerusalem today, go to that next slide. Underneath is the old gate. It's the original gate that Solomon built. It's the gate where the scapegoat walked out. The gate where the scapegoat walked out carrying the sins of Israel on its back. As you can see, it speaks of the Messiah. It speaks that Jesus is our scapegoat, taking on the sins of the world that he placed on his back on the cross and died for our sins. The evidence could be, couldn't be more clear, but yet it's still questioned. As it relates to you and I, when it comes to our convictions, when it comes to our thoughts of the Messiah. I don't think there's a person here that doesn't 
think that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Can I get an amen? I mean, it's, I'm not here to convince the fact that we believe that there is a Messiah. We know Jesus is the Messiah. We believe in the scriptures. We believe in the prophets that they pointed towards Jesus as being the Messiah. We believe that he is the scapegoat. The Bible talks about that. But as awesome as that belief is, we must allow Jesus not just to be the scapegoat of our life, but the King of Kings. <laughs> and sometimes it's easier for him to be the scapegoat, but not the King of Kings. Just like the thousands and thousands of people who lined the streets of Israel that day when Jesus rode on a donkey to the eastern gate and then he came into the temple and cleansed the temple, I tell you what, it changed everything. They loved him when he was coming through and hate him when he was leaving because they messed up, he messed up their lives. And there wasn't a person that stood with Jesus after he did that, cleansed the temple. In the same way, how many of us today are comfortable declaring Jesus as Lord, or Jesus as Savior, but struggle with giving him permission to be Lord of our lives? You know, the Muslim Zolt, Zoltan who bricked up the eastern gate. Let's go back to that picture. Who bricked up the eastern gate. You know, he did this not because he knew that the Messiah was gonna die on the cross. He didn't do that for that. He didn't wanna be ruled by that king. He didn't wanna be ruled by that king. You see, when you give your kingdom up to another king, and a kingdom, you have to change. You have to change your ways. You have to change your attitude. You have to change everything about yourself. It's one thing to believe Jesus died for you. It's an entirely different thing to let him rule your life. Do you understand? We're no different than that, that Zoltan who barred up the, the, the eastern gates when we say, I love you, Jesus, but you're not going to rule my life. I'm going to keep you out. Are we willing to forgive the way he wants us to forgive? Are we willing to have the attitude that he wants us to have? Are we willing to give him our money the way he wants us to use our money? Are we willing to surrender our, our life to him? The people that we associate with that are not good for us, are we willing to let them go in our life? Are we willing to surrender our hopes and dreams for his hopes and dreams for us? You see, if we are not willing to allow his kingdom to be ours, we're no different than that Zoltan that barred up those gates. No different. Jesus said these words, Behold, say behold, 
I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will what? I will come in with him, to him, and dine with him and he with me. You know, when the Zultan put, (laughs) this is crazy, when he put that Muslim cemetery in front, he was going after the Jewish laws that say never step on a grave. And he thought that messianic uh, king would never do that. But how many know Jesus has defied that? For he, when he was raised from the dead, he defied death, hell, and the grave. Amen. Come on. He defies our final resting place or what we think our life should be. For he has come to our tomb. And he's come to tombs. And he was known for this. To invade the dead. (laughs) Today, it doesn't matter what you put in Jesus' way. For becoming king of your life. He's not going to stop knocking. He's not going to say. He's going to walk on your graves. And he's not going to stop knocking. He's going to keep knocking. And he said listen I know. I know you're stubborn. I know you got this. I know you got this. But I'm going to keep on walking. And we think our excuses are valid. We put these cemeteries in front of our eastern gate, the door of our heart, and we say, don't enter. I'm not good enough. I've done too much wrong. You don't want me. I can never do or be the person you've asked me to be. Jesus doesn't care. He doesn't care because he knows when he enters, he can change your heart. Jesus said these words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Say yes, amen. Amen. If I could have the ushers prepare for communion, we're going to take Holy Communion in a second. And I couldn't think of a better way to culminate this series, God's Master Design, than communion. Because this gate speaks of it. It cries out to us today. And although I, it breaks my heart to see the pictures of Jerusalem today and how the Jewish people have allowed that gate to still be barred up. How many know Jesus is coming again? And he is going to land on the Mount of Olives, which is adjacent to that gate. And he is going to declare his glory over Israel. But until that day, how many know we are called to serve the Lord with all of our hearts? We are called to let Jesus be the king of our hearts. And you might be here today and you're thinking, you know what, I I believe in Jesus as my Savior. But here's the question. Are you willing to go as far as confessing him as your Lord? The king of your heart. Letting the Messiah come in and bring his kingdom and his rule into your life. That's the question we need to ask ourselves. If I could have the ushers come ahead. We're going to.
come to the front. We're going to, in a moment, pray over the communion. And I'm going to encourage each one of you, as you get the elements, the bread and the, the cup, if you'll just hold on to them together, we're going to partake in a moment. If I could also have the worship team come ahead. Lord, I thank you today. I thank you. This is a glorious day. Because we as a church know the truth. And the truth has set us free. You are the Messiah. You have come. You have redeemed mankind. But I also know today that there are still some that question your validity. Question if you are Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, who came to this earth to die on a cross for man's sins, was raised from the dead on the third day, and is with the Father in heaven. But now, as they see this, God, as they see the history, as they hear the prophecies, they know in their heart today, you are Jesus, the Lord. If you, for the first time, have that revelation that Jesus is God, then it's time to confess Him as Lord and Savior. And this is a personal decision. This is not a church decision. This is an individual decision that you have to speak out with your own mouth and believe in your heart. So, I'm in a moment going to Lead us into a prayer of confession, making Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you're here and you've never done this before, or you feel like, you know what, I need to do it again, then let this be your confession. Let's the whole church say this together. Dear Lord Jesus, I declare that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. That took away the sins of the world. I believe you Jesus. And I accept you. As my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. And cleanse me. In Jesus name. And everyone said amen. Come on, let's just give the Lord a praise offering. If you made that confession today, I want to challenge you. After service, we're going to have altar time. Come up to someone and just share, hey, this is what I did today. I let Jesus Christ in my heart and we'll lead you into a disciple. Thanks for your support. Harvest Valley Church in Pleasanton has a passion to teach and equip people from various journeys of life through the love and grace of Jesus. If you want to connect with us, join us online at harvestvalley.org or on our Facebook page. Thanks for stopping by.